Retail? Are you kidding? You don't buy this stuff retail. Get it from me, Nick. I'll give you a great discount, okay? Oh, sure. How do you think the Dutch got Manhattan? Welcome back, friends. Welcome back, friends. Hello, hello, hello. We're back for our second Forever Night episode of the week because Kate is sick. I know. So we don't get our book talk with Kate that I usually get on Monday nights and you get on Tuesdays. But good news is we get two episodes of Forever Night. In fact, this week is so hectic, we yet again didn't get to record it immediately after we watched it. But I think I speak for both of us here when I say, I don't think I could rewatch this episode of Forever Night. This was an awkward episode. If you have secondhand embarrassment to any degree, this is not the episode for you. Nope. No. It was hard to watch. <laughs> That's why I haven't watched this one. Ah, yes. Now I remember. But I'm happy to talk about it. So I guess we'll just get started. I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. So our cold open this time isn't just the crime without Skanky and Nick. It's a stakeout. It's a stakeout. A sting operation, one might say. Because there's a fellow in watching a explicit video, let's call it that, with another man. Apparently they're just hanging out. Business partners. Eating popcorn. Watching this explicit video and the way we enter this scene is we like top down pan over a circular bed with cheetah sheets on it that's up on this elevated platform. And then down in the lower area, there's a desk and there's a one guy who's pretty neat and trim. And the other guy looks like we're going for like a like a Ron Jeremy look. He's got long stringy hair, a little bit balding, not attractive. Anyway, he's like, oh, she's good. Yeah, she's good. And the other guy's like, ah, oh, she's okay. She's fine. And the long-haired fellow says, oh, well, she's almost as good as Betty Gilroy. And for a moment, I thought Betty Gilroy was like a famous explicit video star that I didn't know. <laughs> but no, this is our victim du jour. Except this time, she's been killed way back. And we are investigating her murder already. And that's what this sting operation is all about. Because supposedly there's an explicit video of the murder. A snuff film. Yes, where a video of her being murdered. So the guy asking explicitly, well, 
I shouldn't say explicitly. The guy asking specifically about Betty Gilroy tips off the trim haircut fellow. So he starts throwing popcorn at him. And the guy makes some kind of joke about, oh, I'm just mad you you had her last or something. Tries to laugh it off, but it's too late. This guy, this guy knows something's up. Right. So, so he, he fake spills his drink on well, Ron. He actually spills the drink. Well, I mean, he pretends to accidentally spill his drink on the Ron Jeremy lookalike. Uh, kind of lookalike. Anyway. It's all an excuse to get his shirt off. Aesthetically similar. Aesthetically similar. It's all an excuse to get his shirt off because he's got a wire. This is a sting operation. And so Nick, who we thought looked down in like abject shame, was apparently looking down to transform into his vampire self because then he looks up at the camera and he's got the vampire eyes. And And, zoom. And he's off. We get our whoosh sound, which means we've because the somewhere. informant's been found out. Yeah, so he flies up over the chain link fence, over the field, and to this warehouse. So Nick flies in through a not open window. He breaks the window. Yeah, like but, a large, very large section of very high up window. Yeah, and just before he gets there, and this is key. We hear a like gunshot. an instant before he gets there. Yes, we hear a gunshot, and then we see, I know this guy has a name, but I don't remember what it was. But uh, the, Kozak? No, no, the, okay. the uh, Pete. Farber. Pete Farber. Pete Farber, our informant, uh, falls to the ground. Murdered. Maybe. Maybe. He's on the ground, and the other guy's holding the gun when Nick comes in. Yep. So then we cut to all the gar- all the police officers have arrived on the scene. And Kozak is being arrested. And he's like, Psh, you guys can't get me. You've been trying to get me for years. I'm not doing anything wrong here. You know, what are you going to arrest me for? And Nick's kind of storming around the room. And he climbs up the little ladder up to the explicit video stage. <laughs> And then he does this cool, like, hop, spin, slide. Yeah, down the stair railing. Like, I don't go downstairs, not when there's a banister. (laughs) And he's just sort of yelling incoherently at everybody because he's really upset. I think that he didn't get there soon enough to save Pete. Right, he didn't get there soon enough to save Pete. Yeah. Because I think he probably did most of the talking of getting Pete to do this. Well, even Skanky's like, well, we didn't make him do it. He's like, oh, yeah, he was looking at this or 18 months in jail. Of course, we didn't make him do it. Implying, of course, that obviously they did make him do it because it was coercion. Yeah, it was coercion. And even Skanky's a little broken up about Pete. But he says, you know what, man, you got here as fast as you could. And then he, we you get were our, a superhero for getting superhero. here as fast as you did. And we get our Skanky suspicion moment of the episode. If only I'd got here a few seconds sooner. Hey, do not beat yourself up. You were a superhero to get here as quick as you did. How did you get here as quick as you did? So Nick is feeling hella guilty, as usual, except this time it's specifically. And towards the end of the scene, they ask him, so you saw? No, no, he just volunteers it. He goes, well, I saw it happen. 
because Kozak is still like, Psh, you guys don't have anything on me. He shot himself. Oh, that's right. He shot himself, which forever night. <laughs> Seriously. Move, move on. Okay. It's done. Suicide, suicide is not like the topic of the week every week, please. But Kozak is insisting that he's not the one who pulled the trigger. Pete pulled the trigger on himself. And Nick says, well, no, that's not true because I saw the whole thing. So then people turned around. You They're all saw like, it? what? <gasps> Nick saw it, you guys. And everybody's so ecstatic because they've been trying to get Kozak forever. And now Nick has. Now they have a police officer's yes, testimony. A police officer. Eyewitness. Firsthand saw eyewitness Saw him account. do something illegal. So they have got him. He is done. Open shut case. Because of course Nick really did see this guy shoot Pete. Of course right? he did. He wouldn't lie about a thing like that. He did. He's lying. Just for the. The. I don't know. Excitement. The recognition I think he in the just, moment no i think he just is trying to get this guy put away because he's using young girls exploiting young girls which is something that he sees as immoral and since his whole shtick is that he's trying to atone for his own immorality he has to punish it everywhere it's seen and so he can't get this guy because he didn't get there fast enough but he can lie and say he did and his reputation should be enough to get him through. And I'm wondering if it was also partly like, if I say I saw him do it, I might get him to admit that he did it. Right. Yeah. I think it's just getting the, getting the train rolling down the track, I think is what he was hoping this would do. And then we get introduced to a character that we really only see a couple of times, given her general importance in the what actually happened at the crime scene. And that's the super tall lady, uh, Tamara Dugan. And she has a brief interaction with Skanky, which is pretty hysterical because she's supposed to be... Like a dominatrix. Yeah, like a... A, a dom, mistress. A, dom, a mistress, yeah, which she corrects him and says her she is Mistress Tamara Dugan, which, okay, sure, isn't the best portrayal of this lifestyle choice but oh and we don't play it for too many laughs which is nice although skanky does right here because she it's like oil and water you put the sexist skanky and mistress tamara dugan in a conversation <laughs> together <laughs> and by the end of it uh he said he says this so did you pal around with these creeps uh, we're business associates Look, I just came by because we were going to shoot something tonight. Excuse me. Well, shoot me your phone number so I can get in contact with you if I need to. I should have guessed. Policemen are some of my best clients. Let your fingers do the walking. Yeah, right. I'll look it up under abuse. Voluntary. Right. And Skanky's always going to have some slightly derogatory sexist remark to make. Right. He's, he's really off-put by this character type this mistress tamara dugan not the notwithstanding the fact that she's like six foot two she's taller than nick which partly is her heels and partly she's just extremely tall uh so nick's lie his uh his embellishment of the truth has made him like a bona fide hero it's getting him a lot of attention yeah and a cake 
And he's not quite comfortable with this level of attention. Right, because it's not true. He didn't earn this, and he knows it. And it's not sitting right with him. And thus begins the part of the episode where Matt and I were both eerily silent because we were both about to throw up on ourselves with the anxiety of just (laughs) imagining what the situation would be like. Yeah. Yeah. We don't do well in this kind of plot trope. And uh, that was this entire episode because he arrives at the station and they're having a party, a whole party, a whole ass party just for him. Skanky's wife made him a cake. They've got champagne and beer. If you're off duty, they've got punch. They've got, I mean, they are really throwing him a party and he's getting ready to not eat cake because he's not going to eat anything. Of course, even though Skanky says, I don't want to hear anything about your weird diet. You've got to have at least a slice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Stone Tree's like, Nick, I need to see you in my office real quick, Uh, which it turns out he has to give a statement. An official statement An official on the record. Official statement on a reel-to-reel tape player, and she says this is just to keep typos from getting in the way of justice. So he kind of makes up a story about how he got there because he right. can't be like, "Well, I vamped out. I flew over the fence." Right. He summarizes the events. Yeah. Gives some plausible explanation of how he moved that fast. Yeah. And then, okay. Excellent. Good job. Thank you so much. Uh, keep up the good work. Keep up the good. For some reason, they turn the light off. Like, they go in the office, and then she turns the light off. Maybe to help him focus? Maybe. It, I don't know. They deliberately tactic. turn the light off. I don't know. But Nat walks in, and she's like, oh, what's going on? And they're like, oh, didn't you hear? Nick saw Kozak shoot Pete Farber. Oh, did you, Nick? Really? <laughs> Natalie's immediately like, whoop. Red flags. Bullshit alert. Remember, Nick, in the mortal world, perjury is a crime too. Bullshit alert. That's what Nat has immediately, which... Well, yeah, I think Nat's perspective is either Nick's making this up or Nick is not going to be able to explain how he did it slash saw it. Because she's trying to get him to... Atone without using his vampire powers. Right. But Nick was a human for, what, 30 years? He's been a vampire for 770 years. The last time he was mortal was the Crusades. And now you're asking him, don't fly, don't do anything that you literally can't remember not being able to do. So he has a he has a super hard time because he wants to help people. And oftentimes being able to fly and do his With other great power stuff, comes great responsibility. Right. Is he gets to be a little bit vampire superhero, which I think is how he sees it. But she sees it as like you aren't getting closer to being mortal if you aren't practicing being mortal. So in that moment when she gets handed the champagne and she gets this look, either her impeccable bullshit radar is going off. Or she's upset because what did Nick have to do to be able to catch uh, Kozak shooting Farber? And then right, we get I think our... she's as uncomfortable with all of this attention on Nick as Nick is. Yeah. And we get our first flashback, which is just an out-of-context snippet, and it's a court scene. And it's like Nick or somebody, we don't really see who it is, shouting, 
Like that's not what you really saw. You know, take that back or you're lying or whatever. It's a uproarious court scene out of context. We don't know what's happening right now, but this is our little clip that we get right there. Just a little taste of what we're going to get for the flashback for this episode. And then he's at home and he gets a phone call because they've already set the court date. For like two days later. Yeah. I want to know if that's how it works in Canada. Is that how it worked in 1992? Because I'm pretty sure right now that would be like two years from now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I, ha- I have no direct experience with the court system except all the true crime that I listen to. <laughs> But I can say that catching the guy on Tuesday and having the court date on Thursday seems a little fast. Seems a little fast. Uh, So it's going to be at 10 o'clock or 1030 in the morning. And Nick's like, well, shit. And it like pans over to his sun painting that he has on his easel. And then we get this. And Nick has to be there because he is the primary witness. Yeah. I mean, he's the one who saw it. So he's got it because then he goes and talks to Stone Tree. And he's like, come on, man, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't go into the court. And Stone Tree's like, uh, yeah, you can. You're the primary witness. And he's like, well, can't we just record it and send in the videotape like we normally do? Which is nice. They added, how does Nick actually do his job as a police officer, like an arresting officer when there's a court date and that's, he films it and sends it in. And Stone Tree's like, I don't see what the problem is. And Nick's like, come on, I I told you this. I told you all about this. There's a reason why I work nights, only nights. He's like, oh, the whole sun allergy thing? That's not not a big deal. And then Nick says the line that I feel like everyone with a disability has probably said to somebody at some point in their lives, which is... Maybe I know a little bit more about this than you do. Can we just take my word for it, huh? I mean, it's a problem. What do you want me to do? I think I know a little bit more about this than you do. Because he's like... Why are you dismissing me? I'm telling you, this is a problem. And you're telling me it's not a problem, but you aren't me. So you don't know how big of a problem this is. Right. I will literally burst into fucking flames, don't you? <laughs> That's what I want him to say in this moment. But he's like, all right, fine. Uh, he's, I think Stone Tree says wear sunscreen. Right, and then and then we get a funny scene in the yes. car with Skanky. Skanky is and selling Nick's wife is like... It's like Mary Kay the, the or Toronto something. The Toronto version of like Mary Kay or Avon. <laughs> yeah. It's like she's top sales in the Toronto region for the last several years. And so Skanky is giving him a sales pitch on a bunch of different sunscreens. Right. Now, according to Myra, this one's got the most protection of the whole skin pretty line. Here it is. Ozone shield, 100% UVA blockage. It's got a very, very pleasing coconut peach scent. Total sun protection, huh? You sure? Absolutely. You can wear this stuff at Chernobyl. So then we get a little bit more of Skanky's casual weekly sexism as we have another conversation with Mistress Tamara. And she's essentially saying, look, we're business partners. That's why we are in the same building. We do kind of the same stuff. But I would never hurt anybody unless they asked me to. (laughs) Which makes Skanky... Wild really uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Almost as uncomfortable as me and Rachel. This entire, this entire episode. episode, yes. And Nick was like, well, all right, duly noted. Do you have a business card? <laughs> as usual, Nick is our 
Okay, cool. He's seen all this stuff before. Yeah, he's, as he mentions later in the episode, he met the Marquis de Sade. So he's got all the experience, 800 years of it. And Nick starts losing his faith in his lie right about now, because as they leave Mr. Stramara's, he's talking to Skanky and he says, so just like assuming, say hypothetically, I made the entire thing up. How would you feel? And Skanky's like, um, I don't give a shit. Yeah, maybe a little too well. Hey, Skank, I want to ask you something. Shoot, if I don't know it, I'll look it up. What if I told you that I didn't actually see Kozak shoot Farber? You want to know what I'd say? Yeah. I'd say, so what? So what? I really don't care. I think Skanky gets anxious about it because he thinks Nick is going to backtrack. He's going to come come clean. clean. And they're going to lose this win for the police department. Here we get to the main. So a lot of Forever Night episodes have an an obvious plot, which is just Nick's lie and how is this going to pan out. And then kind of the moral lesson for Nick. It's sort of in the way that Lucifer in the Lucifer television show is always making every case about him, except it's far, far less overt. So this is our... People are always less good than Nick wants them to be. Nick has this shining version of mortality, that mortality and morality are all part and parcel, and that if he can just achieve mortality, morality is within reach. But he always keeps running into these situations where people are not as good as he thinks they are. Especially people that should be good right and so then the question here is what is good is lying to get somebody like kozak into prison what is morally right do the ends justify the means Do the ends justify the means or is the lie itself what is morally incorrect And by following through on it, is he just as evil as Kozak? Right. Is he compromising himself just to put one guy behind bars? And I think that both Skanky and Nick are wrestling with this question for the rest of the episode. Right. Because Skanky doesn't sleep for like a day and a half. Yeah. Skanky's up because Nick goes back and goes to bed because he's got to be up during the day, which is already terrifying, but he needs some like rest to... To ease into it. And Skanky goes to the station. And he has this long philosophical rant with Stone Tree. And Stone Tree's like, I hear you. But it's four o'clock in the fucking morning. And Skanky's like, yeah, I know, I know. But li- listen, listen. We need to be heroes. <laughs> right. It's like, I expected Stone Tree to say something like, are you telling me or are you telling yourself? Right. Because Skanky's like, you know what? I get why people don't trust, you know, people not worthy of being trusted. But why does no one trust cops? Which this whole this whole tirade has a really interesting connotation 30 years later when we're listening to it. Because he's like, why don't people trust cops? He's like, I- I'm going to go through my entire career. I'm going to put all these people behind bars. I'm going to do all of this good. And then all I get for it is older every year 
and someday I'm going to go to the company picnic and you're going to be there and we're going to see each other and it's going to be like none of it ever happened because nobody cares. And my kid's going to be a dentist and your kid's going to be an architect and they don't even, they don't want to follow in our footsteps. They actively hate our footsteps and they don't want to be in them. So why are we working so hard and doing all of this, trying to be the good guys when it's not actually making that big of a difference? We need more heroes. That's a problem. Do me two favors, Genki. Sure. Go get some sleep. And on your way, don't do anything heroic, okay? You, uh, you think I'm stupid, right? That I'm talking a bunch of garbage? No, I don't. I totally agree with you. But all I can think about right now is sleep. And so I think what Skanky is saying to himself is, can't we just have this little win? Can't we just be this little bit bad this right, one this, time? This win can be the reward for all our hard work. Right. And he's like, we need, we need heroes. We, we need people to be heroes. Can't we have that? Isn't that okay? And I think he's, at, he's asking himself because he just told Nick, I'm to- totally fine if you lie on the stand. I'm like, I'm totally fine if you didn't see it and you say you did. And not even just, I'm okay with you doing it. You do it. Yeah. You're going to do it. Right. I'm convincing you to do it. Right. Because I think despite the fact that we joke about Skanky's casual sexism, a lot of that is the product of the time period in which right. we're, we're filming yeah. this. At the time, that would have been much more acceptable. And there's still dudes like this. I mean, I worked a lot of careers that are male dominated and I've met this guy. Yeah. This guy. Ditto. Uh, over and over and over again. But Skanky is at his heart. He a good guy. He wants to be a good guy. Over and over again, we'll have situations where Skanky can do something immoral and he never does. He always chooses the path that he thinks is right. But in this moment, he's asking himself the same question. What is the right path? Is it putting Kozak behind bars or is it telling the truth? And so he's trying to get this out to Stone Tree. And Stone Tree literally yawns and goes, man, we just need to go get some sleep. He he is not here for Skanky. He is as there for Skanky as Jeanette was for Nick when Nick was trying to talk to her about his friend. He's just like, I'm tired. It's four o'clock in the fucking morning, Skanky. I got to go to bed. We have court today. And Skanky's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. So then he goes to Nick's apartment. He goes to Nick's loft. When does Nick go to see Jeanette? Is that after the trial? This is later, yeah. Because uh, he shows up. Yes, Skanky shows up at Nick's apartment in the morning. Yeah. Nick has just woken up from a nap or whatever. Yeah, I mean, he, he'd gone to bed for... To rest or whatever, because yeah. that's what that's what Stone Tree told him to do. He said, "Get some rest and uh, see you in court." <laughs> but their interaction here is really funny because Skanky is like so wound up. He makes a crack about how much caffeine he's had because he hasn't slept. And Nick asks him if he's OD'd on a six foot souvlaki or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone down the whole precinct roster, and guess what? You're up the bat. That's right. Score is nothing to nothing, but we're losing. But we're always losing, you understand? You're OD'd on a six-foot souvlaki or something? It hit me when I talked to Stone Tree. 
But I'll give you the short version because we're partners. Who says you're not merciful? <laughs> yeah, back to the whole Polish thing. Yeah, and I mean, through all this, Nat is also kind of confronting Nick about the fact that he's lying. And is he going to be okay with that? And is it is this a step forward or is this a step back? And then Skanky is like, man, well, you gotta, you just she, gotta be the hero. Didn't she ask that in the police station yeah, when they're having the party? Yeah, she said, she said, is this a step forward or a step back? He right. doesn't answer. And she says, oh, I see. Yeah, because he said in his report that he that Pete was shot from a distance of four or five feet, but it doesn't match her findings right. on the coroner's report. And so Nick kind of has an evil angel on one shoulder, which is Skanky. Uh, Selfish. An enabling, an enabling angel on one shoulder, which is skanky, going, just do it, man. Be the hero. We need a hero. Don't worry about right. It's a small compromise yeah. on our part for a big win. For a big win. Yeah. And then he has Nat on the other shoulder, who's like, is this a step forward or is this a step back? And then we go to our flashback. And this time we get from the beginning on so we get context for our court scene and we get la croix which we haven't had this is the first la croix that's not the origin scene and not from dark knight yeah the pilot episodes yeah and it's it's good to see la croix he's (laughs) Lacroix, when they were all just yeah, when they were all family, still trying to uh, brainwash Nick into being <laughs> like them, <laughs> and they were fairly successful at keeping him brainwashed. Yeah, I think keeping him from asking himself the kind him, himself the kind of question he's asking himself right now, and so they go into a tavern, and there's two people playing violin, and Lacroix insinuates that these are Nick's students. Yes. So does Nick teach violin then? It sounds like Nick is a music teacher. Yeah. I don't think we ever... Well, he... Oh, you know what? He plays the piano. Oh, Yeah, that's a big... It's not as... That's why he's got that grand piano. We don't see him play it very often. Usually it's in like really sad, pensive moments. (laughs) And there's one episode. This isn't that big of a spoiler, but he loses his memory and he's sitting at the piano playing... And Nat's like, oh, you're really good. And he goes, yeah, for some reason, I keep remembering myself playing this song, except there's a bunch of candles and there's a guy in a wig writing notes down really fast on a piece of paper, (laughs) implying that he composed this piece and it's like Mozart or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You got to throw those historical (laughs) references in. Nick, Nick never shoveled shit for the revolution. Okay. Never. If there was a czar or a king or a royal of any kind, he's inexplicably friends with them um, in any historical situation. In fact, he met Hitler, okay? Nick never is on the sidelines. He has been on the fast track through history, just hitting all the highlights. And it's a wild ride on which we all get to go. So buckle up, just because it's going to be a really long, oh, we're almost a third of the way through season one. And so we have two-thirds and two seasons left to find out all the wonderful people that Nick has met throughout history. (laughs) Rasputin, Hitler. Was Rasputin a vampire? Uh, not, yes. I think, yes. I'm trying to remember. He also meets Jack the Ripper. 
and one of them they accidentally make into a vampire. And I think it might be Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I'm so excited. <sighs> so anyway, we get our flashback. And LaCroix, who has peak situational awareness, distracts Nick with questions about this female violinist, which he's quite fond of. Uh, Nick is quite fond of. LaCroix is not fond of anybody but LaCroix and Nick and Jeanette. It's the three of them and then fuck everybody else. So he's talking to Nick while Jeanette leads the female violinist away in the background. And then Nick... Not suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. After she like yelled at him and did this like thing and then like disappeared from behind his shoulder... Because she's like, oh, common street musicians? Do you have no taste? Uh, but apparently she was like, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe they're tasty. Because she leads this lady off. And then he turns around and realizes that she's missing and that her violin partner is looking for her. But her violin is still in its case. So wherever she's gone, she didn't take her violin. And then we cut back to modern day. Oh, but we do get a little discussion in the flashback. Let's rewind for a second. Whoop, 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 whoop. Because Nick says something about souls. He's talking about music and yes, mortals. Yes, music feeds the soul. And how mortals are always better at music. Right, LaCroix makes that comment. Yes, because he says, you know, I, I should play again. Because, of course, LaCroix taught Nero the fiddle, and together they watched Rome burn. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a lie. It's a, it's a okay. quote. It's a direct quote. Um, and he says he should pick the fiddle up again. Or the violin up again. But he wouldn't be as good because mortals are always better. And Nick's like, yes, yeah, music does the feed the soul. Mortals are better at. Yeah. And so LaCroix goes, well, we don't have any souls. Or something about a soul. And Nick says, yes, you, you, don't, you think you don't have a soul? And he's like, I think we don't have a soul, Nick. LaCroix, music feeds the soul. <laughs> it's a pity that music is one of the only things mortals excel at. Why do you think that is, Nicholas? Is it because they have a soul? And you do not. We do not. And so this is interesting that we are vampires, which are supernatural beings, I guess, but we're clinging to this idea of there is an immortal energy nugget, I guess, that lives inside of you that goes away when you die so right, they've that's died separate from your mind and personality yeah so they've died and come back so this is a question that is going to plague nick throughout the series which is do i still have a soul and if i don't can i really ever redeem myself or am i always damned so who knows it kind of reminds me of uh, in what we do in the shadows the television show when they realize that because they're dead they have ghosts and so they go find their ghosts yes Do you remember that one? <laughs> i remember that one and nadia's like oh my god finally somebody intelligent to talk to <laughs> not, not yeah. yeah 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 so she turns it into a doll like she gives it this little doll that looks yeah, it like possesses her. her doll yeah and it's a pretty but the one with um cravensworth laszlo is uh yes. <laughs> I'm not even gonna you gotta watch it. If you haven't watched what we do in the shadows, the television show. Uh go watch that. This was your Rachel recommendation of the episode. <laughs> Last week was being human. This week is what we do in the shadows. Movie and television show, both amazing. Oh, so then Nick 
is getting, well, we see his Cadillac driving down the road. So we're back in modern times. It's morning. It's day. His Cadillac is driving. But it's a feminine hand at the wheel because Nat is driving him into the parking deck. And he's in the trunk. So he gets out of the trunk. He's got sunglasses on. And she tells him there's no open windows, nothing. Everything's underground or in hallways all the way from here to the court. And I. And she sabotaged the blinds in the courtroom. Yes, she had them closed and she sabotaged the pull cords. So everything should be okay. Uh, and as he's walking past, she goes, Do you smell pina coladas? <laughs> because the sunscreen that he bought from Skanky smells like coconuts. In fact, uh, Skanky's like, It has a pleasant coconut smell. <laughs> it's one of his like, selling features. <laughs> So then they go to court, um, and he gets called up on the stand. Well, we get like an intermission where he and Skanky are drinking coffee. And uh, I think, oh, because they talk to um, Kozak, first. Kozak first. And then they have, they have a recess. Yeah, because everybody gets kind of rowdy, so they recess the court. And so then Skanky and Nick are in this little break room getting coffee, and Nick just looks super hungover. Like he's wearing sunglasses. He's like leaning on the counter and Skanky's like still trying to reassure everyone in, in, in earshot that this is a good idea. He's like, you just got to do it, man. You just got to stick to the script. Just get, get us this win. And Nick's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Skanky. It's fine. Please stop drinking coffee. (laughs) Just go. So they get back to the court and Nick gets put on the stand. And for some reason, the, prosecute or the defense gets to question him first yeah i'm not sure if it's something that works differently in canada yeah because he gets like grilled first by the cross-examined yeah but you can't cross-examine if the you haven't been first examined i don't know anyway for whatever reason it's uh kozak's now that i've been talking about what we do in the shadow i keep wanting to call him laszlo it's not kozak's counsel is what is who talks to Nick first. And he is grilling him. He's like, how did you get there? And he's like, oh, I climbed the fence and I ran across the yard. And he's like, yeah, okay. So you climbed a 10-foot fence. You ran half the length of a football field. And then you went up the stairs and then saw him shoot him. And that would have taken you, oh, I hired this decathlete. Who's, who's out training for the Olympics right now. Yeah, he'd be testifying today, but he's at the Olympic trials, and it took him four minutes, but you're saying it took you two minutes. And Nick's like, oh, no, no, I... Uh, I uh, I was closer than my car. I was, I'd yeah, already gotten, I'd already out, gotten out. And he's like, well, why'd you already get out? And he was like, I don't know, I'm playing a hunch, but somebody's opened the blinds, and the sun is like creeping up on his fingers, and he's like trying to keep his fingers both on the table and out of the sun at the same time. And this is the second moment in this court where things could have gone sideways. Because he also has to swear in on the Bible. So he puts and his so he hand on the Bible. And his, his hand, hand. his hand is like shaking on the Bible. Which and there's know, smoke like, coming out. smoke coming off of it. Although it's pretty cool when he picks his hand up and there's that smoky handprint left underneath of it. That's a pretty yeah. cool effect yeah. that we get there. Because he like looks down after he's curled his palms to get them away from the light. And he's got a cross on his palm. And we not only get this cross on my, like this Christian reference, but we also get like rapid fire transitions between this court and the court because the court in the past in his flashback, because in his flashback, of course, Jeanette murders the violin player 
and then dips. She's like, you did have good taste. <laughs> she leaves. And then the violin player's friend shows up and he's like, oh no, you died. So he goes down to hold her and somebody runs up and they're like, oh my God, a murderer, murderer. And so this guy is on trial for murder for Jeanette's murder. And so Nick is there trying to get him, get him away, get him out of it because he's like, look, he didn't do it. It right, was, and he's trying to. It was a woman. This lady, yeah, that you didn't actually see it. Right, don't he say you did. Her. You didn't see him do it. Don't say you did. And so we're cutting back between Nick in the past, who does look a lot more innocent. I mean, Garrett does a really good job of playing himself slightly different, playing Nick slightly different in each time period that we see him in, because often in flashbacks he is far more like optimistic or innocent looking. And that's what we get here because he looks so like, no, please, come on, you're lying. Why would you lie? That's bad. <laughs> Don't want to be bad. And so he's trying to convince this woman not to lie. But then we're switching back to the present where Nick has just been asked the question, did you really see him shoot Pete? Did you really see Kozak shoot Pete? And he's like, um, uh. And now we're at the critical moment. Yeah, and he literally goes off goes off into his flashback and the guy's like are you even listening to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's nice for somebody to actually like reference nick spacing out yeah that would be a really interesting condition to research right you have to have enough memory that you can literally lose yourself in the past but i wonder if that could be like an actual thing where if you hold on to too many memories you literally can't keep yourself grounded in the present anymore. And we talk about this several times, is that vampires actually lack the ability to process guilt or to process, like, consequences of their actions. They're supposed to just do it and move on. Like and since be extra impulsive. Yeah, and since he holds on to it all, it kind of builds up like a toxic, like toxic buildup where he literally can't process he lacks the ability to process guilt or to process his role in these situations. And so he just keeps rehearsing them in his head. And that's kind of what his flashbacks are. And so it literally eventually, for at least an episode, drives him mad where he, he, can, he can't cope anymore with like the cumulative weight of everything that he's done and then his inability to move past it because he won't let it go, and he can't process it. Maybe that's why every once in a while he literally just slips out of the time stream for a little while. (laughs) But this council's like, are you even listening? And he, like, slams his hand down, and Nick having this really, I mean, they do a good job of driving up the tension and, like, showing us his inner conflict. And he's like, uh, no. No, you know what, actually, I, I didn't. I didn't see it. And everyone's like, ah, fuck. Nick, all you had to do was stick to the script all the way through and we would have been fine. But Nick's like, I can't. (laughs) I just can't do it. I know, poor Nick. He's really trying to do the right thing. But he doesn't, I mean, his role model for, what, 700 years was LaCroix. Literally a psychopath. Literally a psychopath. So he's just got to figure all this stuff out, okay? Emotions and right and wrong. Although on his way into the court, 
he's talking to Natalie, and he's like, I've lived a really long time, Natalie. I know right and wrong. Nick, I hope you know what you're doing. Uh, if I can avoid the sun, I'll be all right. I'm talking about what you're going to say in the stand. Nat, I've been around for 800 years. I know what's wrong and what's right. Do you smell pina coladas? Which uh, he doth protest too much, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then he, he calls Jeanette because... For uh, some reason. Well, he's on everybody's shit list right now. So he needs a dose of reality. And if Jeanette is good for anything, it's, it's calling someone out on their bullshit. Because Jeanette has zero time and gives zero shits about you lying to you. Right. So they end up walking through this. It's supposed to be like a shady It's area a shady town. alley. It's got like burn barrels. There's like people leaning on the walls. Right. There's milling about. I don't know why they're here. That's Sus- not really covered. Uh, because, because, as if you watch it, as they're walking through it, Jeanette's just walking down this road because she is the most dangerous thing in this alley. Burn barrels, whatever. Who cares? None of that matters. She is literally completely unafraid and unfazed by the where they are. So she's just smoking her little cigarette, wearing her little strappy black dress with her super adorable hairstyle, <laughs> her little <laughs> shortcut with the like sweep side bang. Oh, just really cute. Anyway, so she's walking down this alley, just straight. And every once in a while, Nick grabs her shoulders and like pushes her side to side to move her out of the way of people or like away from the wall where somebody's leaning or whatever. And she does it. But literally, she gives zero shits about anybody in this alley because they are all food. And she knows it. And she does not care so i think it's to show how much nick is aware of the situation they're in and how much jeanette is not because whatever so i think that's why we're in this dangerous situation because it's to highlight how much jeanette does not care and she's also talking about how much she doesn't care right she's like oh so your friends don't like you now who gives a shit nick they're gonna be dead in 20 years she's very clearly articulating a whole list of reasons that Nick should not be attached to the outcome of what's happening to him right now. And the reasons that she uses herself to, to justify why you should not be interested in all these petty little lives around yeah. you. The things that you concern yourself with, nothing. You want to arrest a tawdry little pornographer that we saw, the Marquis de Sade. Hmm? The things you concern yourself with are just specks in time. Why do you do it? Why does it matter? It'll help me find my soul. (laughs) Your soul is long gone. You lost it when Lacroix brought you over. He was never one to let his life become boring. Because they're just specks in time, Nick. Which is useful from a like character development perspective because it's almost prompting Nick. Here's this whole list of reasons you should not care. You the your actions show that you do care a lot. Why? Yeah, why do you care, Nick? So now Nick has to respond. He has to articulate his justification for committing himself to the work that he's doing. Yeah. She's like, we could be gone 
tomorrow. We could just leave. We could go to Paris. We can go wherever. We don't have to be here. You don't like it? Boo, boo fucking who? Let's go wherever we want. We are not people. We are not mortals. We don't have mortal lives. We aren't stuck in this city. We can do what we want. And Nick's like, no, I need to stay and I need to make it right. And she's like, why? Why, Nick? And he says, because I'm trying to save my soul. She's like, that's been gone forever. She's like, it's been gone forever. It was, it was gone the moment you became a vampire. He goes, you know, Lacroix knew that. He never let his life get boring. And where is he now, Nick? Nick, and, where is he? And then Nick. And then Nick remembers, remembers specifically himself saying, go to hell to Lacroix as he stabs him. And va diablo, diablo, va diablo. As to the stabbed, devil. Yeah, to the devil with you as he stakes him and lets him burn. And she's like, I believe I've made my point. <laughs> so she really, really enjoys like letting him have it, calling him out on all this bullshit. And she hits him with a little tribalism. You don't belong to the mortals. You don't really belong to us. You don't even really belong to you. You don't even know who you are. You're pathetic. You want to belong? You belong to no one. Not us. <laughs> not them. You're not true to your own kind. You're not even true to yourself. And then she walks off, turns around, and gives him this little smile like, Call me later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we can have these little chats, Nicola. (laughs) (laughs) Call me sometime. Anytime you need perspective. I'm here. It's just this little, hmm. You asked. If you didn't want to know the truth, you should have Because if anything, if all of this time gives you anything, it gives you some perspective. Yeah. He'll be back. She knows he'll be back. Next time he's stumped on a case, he'll be in the Raven. It's fine. She doesn't care. She does not care. She doesn't care about all the people in this alley. She doesn't care about this life. It's all just the only thing that matters is her relationship to the other vampires who are important to her because they're the only thing that are going to last as long as she is. So in a way, she cares about Nick because he's all she has now because Lacroix is gone. And so she's willing to call him out to hopefully bring him back to her in the end. So you can't both call him out and then alienate him. That doesn't accomplish your goal. Right. This is more her demonstrating her value to him. Right. You got to set his ship on fire and then be the safe harbor he can sail it to all at the same time. That's how it works. So Nick's on everybody's shit list because he does a little bit of contemplative driving and then he goes to the station and no one will talk to him. And Skanky's not even there. He's off working on some other case because no one's talking to him. Everyone's giving him the cold shoulder. Cases are getting taken away from him. In fact, he's supposed to be on vacation. And he's back. And Stone Tree looks really unhappy to see Nick. Stone Tree wants none of Nick's bullshit right now. And we are really left ambiguous about whether everyone is upset because he lied or because he didn't keep lying. Right, yeah, whether he lied in the first place at the crime scene. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where it's left unclear what everyone is upset about. 
But we do end up in Stone Tree's office, which is again dark and smoky. And for some reason, he has a glass block wall exclusively for effect because we always have a light shining through it, a blue light from somewhere. But he's like, I need a warrant. And Stone Tree says, A warrant? I mean, what for what, man? Kozak's already gonna, he's, there's talk of a civil suit. You really fucked up, Nick. And Nick's like, well, the warrant's not for Kozak. And then they look at each other. Significant look. And Stone Tree's like, okay, maybe you're on to something. All right, fine. You are kind of the best. Good at your job yeah, or whatever. Job or whatever. So we don't know who this warrant is for, but Nick immediately heads to Tamara Dugan, who we haven't seen in a while. In fact, we kind of forgot she existed, although she's in the court. She shows yes, up at court. She's in the back of the courtroom. Probably exclusively to be like, guys, don't forget about this character because she's going to come back. Okay. So we go back and he heads up the stairs towards Tamara Dugan's office and he hears voices. And it's Kozak and Tamara. But they're. They're doing some role play. Yeah, they're enacting a scene. So they have some kind of Dom sub thing going here where Mistress Tamara is yelling at Kozak. Telling him stuff like, if you're a good boy, you can shine my boots. It's a little bit, uh, not a great representation of that community, but. Right, it's pretty one-dimensional. It's pretty one-dimensional, but it's brief, mercifully brief, because she gets him to say out loud. that Well, she brings in the leverage that she has over him. And he doesn't play along. Yes. And is like, no, I'm, I'm not going to let you hold well, this over Well, he's me. kind of on his knees and she gets him to say, she says something about, you're really good at this. You've gotten away with two, you've gotten away with two murders. How does it feel to be free and clear when you did it? And Nick's, of course, outside like, God, I fucking knew it. I knew you did. <laughs> but he's just listening at the door. And of course, he's there alone because he's serving this warrant alone. If he even got the of warrant, course. I don't know how he would have gotten it that fast on a case that was already dismissed. But hey, it happened. So he's listening at the door and she says something about Betty Gilroy, which is the case that we were originally investigating. And he says, I killed her, but you made me do it. You made me do it. And she says, all right, well. You want to watch? And so she goes over and pulls this VHS tape out of her like flower pot thing, which if they had done a search of her room at any time, which they might have done had Nick not lied. Right. I don't think they searched her place. Right. So because Nick lied, they stopped effectively investigating because they had Nick's word. They had the smoking gun. They had the smoking gun. And so they didn't investigate this woman. And she straight up had the snuff film in her flower pot, which is what she pulls out in the VHS tape, which that must've been a really wide mouth flower pot for an entire VHS tape to fit in there. But they kind of kerfuffle shuffle about a little bit where Kozak is trying to take it from her because the deal was if he kept her out of the whole investigation, she'd give him the tape and he, she'd stop holding it over him, blackmailing him with it. And so he grabs her, grabs the tape and they head out the door. But when they open the door, Nick is standing there. And so he kind of pushes them in. We have a little bit of plot, plot, plot. And then Kozak shoot, is going to shoot at Tamara, but Nick tosses her out of the way and he gets shot. 
a bunch. So Tamara saw him get shot and walk away. And Kozak shot him. And in a minute is going to have irrefutable proof that Nick is not mortal. So that brings our people who know about Nick because Nick doesn't give any fucks about whether or not people see what he can do up to seven in case anybody's counting. Seven minimum. Well, it was five last time uh, on screen. Right. Five. Screen. Uh, well, our count was up to five with the two kidnappers and Hedges last week. And so that's Tamara and Kozak. That's seven. So Kozak dips. He yeets himself out the door. And Nick, who was slumped against the wall looking dead, just sits up and opens his eyes and runs out the door. And we... He calls for an ambulance. Oh, yeah. He calls for an ambulance. And then we get the whoosh. I've flown away sound. And the ultralight bobbing over the scene. And then we get... (laughs) We get a swoopy scene in front of the moon. (laughs) Where he... Swooshes, you get like a, it looks like an action figure of Nick just kind of going from left to right over the screen in front of the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he does like a lower down in front of the car and Which land. Isn't, isn't okay. bad. In context of all of the other flying scenes that we have been given to judge by, it's the best. It's the best. It's the most believable. This is the best on-camera flight scene. Yeah, so he floats down and lands in front of Kozak. So Kozak freaks out and pulls, you know, spins his wheel to the side and loses control of his car. So Nick, helpfully, rips the whole fucking door off, tosses it into the woods, pulls Kozak out. (laughs) Pulls Kozak out, and Kozak's like, I shot you like a bunch. I saw the bullets go through you. (laughs) And Nick's like, yeah, nice try try saying that in court. I bet they'll call you a liar. You're under arrest for the attempted murder of Tamara Dugan. I, I, I saw the bullets go right through you. What? Try saying that in court. I don't know about you, but I'd say they'd call you a liar. <laughs> nice, Nick. Nice callback. Nice callback. So we caught Kozak. Caught the bad guy. We got the snuff film. We can start. The next episode in exactly the status quo we started this episode because Nick has cleared his name. He's redeemed himself in He's the eyes of the department. Himself. So that's where we wrap it up. Um, oh, we go from there to kind of a cute little movie night scene where Nick and Natalie are sitting on the couch and he's turned his couch. because He's normally, rearranged his furniture. Yeah, he's rearranged his furniture so that Natalie can sit and watch the TV with him. And they're watching, I guess it must be Godzilla. Oh, no, not Godzilla. Uh, King, King Kong. Kong. King Kong. Because Natalie's crying. And Nick laughs at her. He's like, well, what? how was that sad? And she's like, it was really sad because it wasn't even a person. It was a 40-foot gorilla. And she's like, well, that doesn't mean it's not sad. She's like, you know what? I take it back. I said that you could be mortal someday. But if you don't understand why that was sad, I take it all back. You can't be mortal. And then this ending where he sits down next to her and he ends up like growling at her, like flashing his fangs and she throws popcorn at him. It was actually a um, practical joke from Garrett. That's why he doesn't have the green eye contacts in. He only right, has the mouth the fangs. Yeah. So, cause it was supposed to surprise her, which apparently it did. Cause she yells at him and throws the popcorn at him. And it's really interesting. Her shirt. 
which we spent, I don't even know, probably <laughs> 45 sp- minutes yeah. going through this. I pulled this up on the computer frame by frame. Yeah. Oh, let's go back. Try again. Because we wanted to know what her shirt says, because it clearly says racism really big across the top. And then the rest of it is sort of lost because she has the shirt tucked over her knees, which is cute. It's a cute element, but you can't wear that shirt and then not show us the rest, <laughs> just only show us racism. And it says racism is pure ignorance. So in case anybody ever wondered, that's what that what shirt says. What does Natalie's shirt say? Which I thought was really into this because this is the second subtle kind of human rights thing that we've thrown in because we also had that element in dark night where they had an AIDS poster, like a AIDS is all of our problems. What thing on the wall. And then we get Natalie's racism is pure ignorance shirt. Which I thought was really interesting. I mean, it's uh, obscured. I don't know why they felt like it was okay for us to only see racism on her shirt and not the rest of the quote. But it's cute. They throw popcorn at each other. Nick tells him that, yes, our flashback resolution is that the guy was convicted for murdering his friend. But somehow someone broke into the jail jail. and broke him out. And he ended up playing first violin in some orchestra somewhere. And she's like, oh, well, I'm glad to hear his guardian vampire broke him out. Nick's like, well, you know, do what I can. And so we we have a fun wrap-up. Natalie's forgiven him. And when we start the next episode, of course, we won't have any reference to it. It'll all be gone. Which is good because I don't think I could rewatch this if I needed to go back and get right. more information. It was so uncomfortable to watch. Uh, Nick did a really good job of conveying his discomfort. Yes, he really For the did. entire episode. I believed it. I felt it. I fucking felt that discomfort. And Skanky's like anxious energy. Yeah. In fact, was Matt, very well performed. Matt and I were sitting here in complete silence watching it, which is highly unusual. And I said, This is really uncomfortable. And Matt goes, Yeah, it really is. <laughs> that was like our whole discussion through the middle of the show. Except for the laughing at the flying scenes. Yeah, I did like the Jeanette discussion scene. That's yes. one of my favorites. I mean, I of course, I haven't. I think I probably watched this one once. And then every time I go to watch it, I'm like, oh, wait, this is the one where Nick lies. Never mind. And I don't watch it. Uh, but I, so I admit I don't have and I didn't have any memory of that talk with Jeanette where she's like, get your shit together, Nick. Are you going to be a good guy or a bad guy? And why? He needs to find his why. Right, and you need to say it out loud. And you need to you need to figure it out, and you need to believe it. I know who I am. That's the one thing about Jeanette. For the most part, Jeanette knows who she is. Season one, Jeanette knows who she is. Mid-season to late season two, Jeanette has questions. But season one, Jeanette knows who she is. Knows what fits her really well, which is that lovely little strappy dress that she's wearing. And her little her haircut is so cute in that section. And I really just can't get over the fact that I haven't seen it. Because later we give her some different, like a perm kind of hairstyle, which duh, doesn't suit her as well as this one does. Wish we just left it at this. Because Deborah Duchesne looks really nice in season one. We didn't get any purples member purple members only jacket in this episode he did wear a tie in court though 
First and last. First and last time he's ever going to wear a tie and sunscreen. I just love the part where Skanky's selling him sunscreen. We had a couple of really good moments. We had Skanky trying to sell him sunscreen, and we had some Skanky development. Like, we had a fair amount of Skanky development in this episode because we had his whole wrestling with the question as well. And he gets a lot of long dialogue. A lot of time what we get with Skanky is moment of comic relief or one-liners. We don't generally get a lot of Skanky talking unless he's asking a question and waiting for an answer so i'm wondering if they just um had the actor just kind of ad-libbing john capellos yeah he could be i mean he's a really good actor he's in everything he's probably in your house right now he could be your cat you don't know john capellos is in everything everything he's in legally blonde he's in stuff he's he's in the he's in um What's the one with the four witches? The Focus Pocus? Oh, no. no. The Craft. The Craft. He's in The Craft. He's uncredited, but he's in The Craft. He's Firuza Balk's character's like stepdad. Let me look up on IMDb and see how many things he's credited as being in. 203 things. Wow. Yeah. That's what I mean. John Capella says he is a phenomenal character actor. He's in absolutely everything he's in the shape of water and so is nigel bennett actually they're both in it because i watched it remember we were in we saw it in the theater and i was like that guy's in forever night and then, <laughs> then nigel bennett showed up and i was like that guy's in forever night too it's <laughs> like oh look there's so many of them you were on a streak i was on a streak yeah he's on cameo too this is also not a thing. Cameo is that one where you can get you can get a personalized message read by like people, like famous actors or actresses. I have no idea. Yeah, you if you want about. like uh it's like don't wait wait don't tell me where you get a outgoing voicemail Is it a service by, that you pay for? You pay for it. You pay oh, okay. like commission. You commission people I who wasn't are on sure cameo. if it was a service that you pay for or if it was a game show. No. No, it's like okay. a it's a service you pay for where you commission gotcha. someone to read something or whatever. Um and John Capellis is on Cameo. Just in case anybody wanted to know that. We don't also get paid for that at all. Nobody pays us anything ever. But um he's on there. I just Except our two Patreons. Yeah, our two Patreons. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> you know, if you want to join them, this is a perfect moment for me to talk about it. Uh we have a Patreon. We have quite a few tiers, including one called the Night Nights. So if you're falling in love with Forever Night and you want to become a Night Knight, you can do it. It's on our Patreon, which is Strange and Beautiful Book Club. We also have an Instagram, which is Strange and Beautiful Book Club, where I keep most of the updates going. Uh, if you want links to all of these, you can go to our website, which is strangeandbeautiful.club. You can also email me at rachel at strangeandbeautiful.club or matt at matt and strange matt at strangeandbeautiful.club or you can email the hosts at the hosts at strangeandbeautiful.club and that one will come to both of us. We'll probably be taking off the week between Christmas and New Year's. But we're trying to get an extra episode recorded ahead of time. Oh, maybe. If we do, we do. And if we don't, we don't. But that week doesn't actually exist anyway. So it's okay. It's that week where 
You don't know what day it is. You don't know what day of the week it is. You don't know how far it is to New Year's or how far you are from Christmas. And you don't know why you've eaten so much cheese is uh, is what the only thing that week exists for. So it's fine. You won't even notice because that week doesn't even exist. And then we'll be on vacation, actually. So we won't have any updates that following week. But then we'll be back. Don't worry. You won't miss us for too long. You've got probably 17 by the time we get done with this week episodes that you can go back and review. See how many times you can hear Pippin meowing in the background. Because Pip wants to be a podcasting cat. And he never shuts up. Ever. So there's not a whole lot we can do about it besides lock him out of the room, which would just be more meowing, but at the door instead of in the room. So this message brought to you by Pip, the podcasting cat, who's asleep in his box. You're never there when I need you, Pip. Matt, do you have any closing remarks? I'm glad this one's over. (laughs) We had some good character development, but... Emotionally, this was a rough one. It was. Looking forward to next week. Cherry Blossoms is the next episode. They're all available on Amazon. I don't know if I've mentioned that. Season one and season two are streaming for free on Amazon. Season three isn't streaming anywhere, ever. So you'll have to buy the DVD if you want to keep up with us on season three. But they're economical because this is an obscure 1990s television show that literally very few people have heard of. In fact, if you search for Forever Night on Spotify, we're like the top result. (laughs) Us and the Forever Night soundtrack, which I feel vaguely proud of. Remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. our second forever night episode. Pippin, can you go rub your face somewhere else, please?